Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, this is Woodstock Proud, spotlighting the individuals, businesses, and organizations that make Woodstock one of the premier destinations in Metro Atlanta to live, work, and play. Now, here's your host. Hello and welcome back once again to Woodstock Proud here on Business Radio X. I'm your host, Jim Bulger, and once again, we appreciate you joining us, and we have a very special show in store for you today. About eight months ago, when Stone Payton and the folks at Business Radio X approached me about hosting a show, Woodstock Proud was born. I've been a resident of Woodstock for over 30 years, and... This gave me a chance to share with others the excitement that this town has generated in me and with a lot of other people I know. So our premise was very simple. Just have a forum where we can spotlight and celebrate and get better acquainted with the people who are making a difference in this community. Now, I knew from the very beginning that we would never totally deliver on that commitment or fulfill that premise without spending some time with our guest today, Mayor Donnie Henriquez. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us on Woodstock Proud. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here, and good afternoon to all your listeners. Well, now we're going to talk about your years as mayor and about some of the changes Woodstock has gone through. But before we do that, I'm going to kind of flip ahead to the latest chapter in the book. After four, four terms as mayor and a term as city council member before that, you announced in February that you would not be seeking re-election. Talk a little bit about when you made that decision and why you decided it was time to pass the gavel. Yeah, good question. Uh, Back before the first of the year, a young man, I call him young because I'm old, uh, Michael Caldwell, former state rep, came to me and said, if you ever decide not to run, let me know because I want to do it, but I'm not going to run against you. So it started me thinking and into the next year, you know, I was doing pros and cons with my wife and some friends, Charlize and Mike Bird. Uh, She's a state rep now Mm -hmm. too. Um, We were doing the pros and cons and uh, started adding them up and it came to the decision of we always have big projects on the books, and that's why I wound up wound up running four times. Um, and I thought about this when we have a big project coming up, which I know you want to talk about, so I won't steal your thunder. <laughs> but um, I said, you know, there's always going to be one. I've been here for four terms more than any other mayor in the history of Woodstock. I'm very proud of that. Um But I figured it was time, you know, I started not uh, enjoying some of the meetings that we had, which are long and contentious. And when I said that, my wife says, you don't need to run again. So that's when we made the decision. Uh, I let Michael know. He immediately announced he was running, and I immediately endorsed him. So that's how it happened. Well, I mean, 16 years as mayor, I mean, what an amazing run. I mean, when you consider that 
Kids that were going into kindergarten when you first became mayor are graduating college today. I mean, did you ever imagine that you'd stay mayor so long? Absolutely not. I thought maybe two terms and get get the ship righted, so to speak, uh, make sure the the vision is in place and in progress and move on uh, to other things. But uh, like I said, it was always another project. So I stayed on for two more terms and uh, the rest is history. Well, and we thank you for doing that. Oh, I appreciate that. So if we go back to 2004, uh, you decided to run for mayor against, I believe, the incumbent then, right? Correct. And that was a fairly close race. It absolutely was. Um, Five out of the six council members at the time came to me and asked me to run for mayor. They didn't agree with the way things were going. So after a lot of thought, Uh, In discussion, I decided to do it, and it was a hard campaign. Uh, You know, I hadn't had that many campaigns, but it was a hard one. I've seen others, and it was very difficult. But uh, the final votes came in in November, and I won by 31 votes. 31 votes. Yep. Which uh, begs the lesson, every vote counts. Exactly. You know, (laughs) Even this morning, uh, once a year, the third graders from Woodstock Elementary walk down from uh, the school, and I I greet them at the chambers, and they split up into groups and go to other locations. But I even said this morning, I told that story about the 31 votes, and I said, what does that tell you? And, of course, the parents said every every vote counts. So they got the message. Absolutely. So let's, let's go back to 2004. How would you describe Woodstock when you first became mayor? Um, a sleepy town still. I mean, we had the buildings in place on the east side of Main Street, um, and it was a beautiful project. Um, but every every store was empty. We still only had about five or six businesses on the original side of the street, and they were still closing up at 5 o'clock. So we had no nightlife whatsoever, and I knew that could change. So do you remember your original campaign? What were were the challenges facing the city then? Um, We had a lot of big boxes that were empty. The uh, Walmart that is now Sam's Club was empty. Uh, Kmart closed up, which became His Hands Church, Um, you know, and we had several other type of big boxes that were empty. So that was one of my goals, to get those filled, because they were an eyesore sitting there. Uh, the other thing was to get those buildings in downtown filled up. And um, jumping ahead a little bit, the way we did it is we recruited Pure and Canyons uh, to come in. And they were really the first starter for the area once they came in and attracted people downtown that's when the other merchants came in so it became a lot easier at that point now was the developer already involved at that point hedgewood hedgewood uh built the entire project um and a lot of the housing back there as a matter of fact 
the one I bought in that neighborhood was the last one that they did before they went okay. out of business for the recession. They they went out early during the recession. I'm not sure why, but they were fantastic partners to work with. Yeah, I remember downtown then, and like you say, a few stores. You know, I, I, I remember before that, I mean, the train depot was basically unused and abandoned. But even beyond the downtown area, when we look at Woodstock as a whole, Town Lake didn't look like it does today. 92 didn't, didn't look like it does today. So there were a lot of things going on in different parts of the city, correct? Yes, that's true. Uh, we had the same issues in Town Lake and 92 that we had in downtown. You know, we had a lot of vacant um, buildings. And the population then was about what? Uh, when I first became mayor, it was probably, I don't know, 12,000, 14,000. And today we're at? Uh, final census numbers I have not seen yet, but I'm guessing it's between 38 and 39,000. That's amazing. I yeah. mean, and, and, and rapid. So was that growth surprising or was it all part of the plan? Uh, it was part of the plan, but it was surprising in the fact that it happened so quickly. I mean, we had a national magazine, I believe it was Money Magazine, that named us a few years ago the sixth fastest growing city in the United States. So wow. That, that tells you something. Well, and we've seen in other cities where you can grow too fast, you can outgrow your infrastructure, you can outgrow your capabilities, but somehow Woodstock through your leadership, through the council, through the city departments, it seems to have been more of controlled growth of really having a plan for it. Correct. Uh, We made a conscious effort when a developer wanted to do something, like, for instance, Woodstock Knoll. Um, We made sure when they started building that they, they took care of the infrastructure that leads into their their development. Uh, I don't think, and most developers agree, that it's their responsibility. Turn lanes, sewage and water pipes, pump stations, things like that. So that helped the process of, like you said, uh, a planned development. Well, and planning and zoning has become more and more important as that growth continued, I would think just because of there's a limited amount of developmental land to look at and you want it to be used the right way. And I know that they've been very involved and I've gone to a number of the planning and zoning meetings and and city council meetings where, you know, there are some projects that definitely fit the plan that are approved. There are projects that don't fit the plan that are not approved. And, you know, when you have that kind of change, And whether it be in a city, in a company, I mean, there are going to be some people that are going to embrace that change. There's going to be some people that are going to resist that change. But because of the plan, at least the impression I get is that, by and large, people have very much embraced the plan and have enjoyed the growth. Are you hearing that as well? Uh, Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, Like you said, some people are not 
fans, but I think that is like a 2% minority. Uh, overwhelmingly, when I get stopped on the street or in the supermarket or wherever, people are congratulating us. They love what's happening in Woodstock, and they agree with the vision that we talked about. Well, and you know, I think there's another piece of this too, and that's that sometimes, and may not be the best analogy here, but I work with a lot of companies that are growing. And as those companies grow, dynamics change. And they lose some of their culture. They tend to become more impersonal. They tend to become more corporate. And we've seen cities around us that have seen some of that happen too. They just don't have the same flavor they had years ago because of that growth. But somehow here in Woodstock, one of the things I love about being a resident here is we've always embraced the history. We've always embraced the community feel, the, the, the small town atmosphere, even through that growth. How did that come about? How was that part of the plan? That was always in the vision. We never wanted to lose that small town feel. And it stems from the downtown area. We still have some of the original buildings uh, that have been here for years. Uh, we have, uh, in I think it was 08 or 07, uh, I named Juanita Hughes the town historian, and she's a former librarian. Uh, she's now in her 80s, but she spent a lot of time when she retired at our visitor center educating people. And we went to her when we had a question on whether a certain project fit and she would tell us yes or no, you know, what she thought. So, uh, we always wanted to keep that small town feel. Well, and, and as I mentioned, I mean, sometimes with that growth, people become more impersonal. I mean, it seems to me, and, and I'd be interested in your response to this, that when you look at the business culture, when you look at the arts culture, when you look at the activity happening downtown, happening in Town Lake, happening on 92, it almost feels like people have come together more through that growth than they were years ago. There's more chances to interact. There's more chances to find people of similar interests. I mean, are you finding that as well? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you mentioned other cities, and I'm not going to name any disparage them, but sure. uh, they grew faster or as fast as we did, but they lost their small town feel. Um, we consciously wanted to have people come together, and I think they're doing that because they're proud of Woodstock, um, and we provide them uh, opportunities to interact. Uh, of course, the downtown is so small that, you know, it's what? two miles square or something like that, uh, it's easy to run into your friends and neighbors. Um, we have the bike trails. We have the walking trails. I mean, you walk down one of the trails from downtown to, say, the dog park, you'll run into a neighbor. I guarantee you. Uh, I do it all the time. Uh, it takes me a while to, to make that trip because I get stopped so many times, even from people I don't know. And like I said earlier, they're they're congratulating us on the job that we've done. So I'm very proud of that. 
Well, and it's it's real. I mean, it's not artificial. It's not window dressing. I mean, you go to a Lantern Series concert and just watch people going from table to table greeting people they know. You know, you go to the um, the different business functions. And the networking piece of it is why a lot of people go, just to connect with their friends in the business community. So it is real, and it is very authentic. When you look at the 16 years as mayor, what do you think were the major milestones for Woodstock during that time? I'll tell you the first one, and it's it's human, um, is we hired Jeff Moon, our city manager. Uh, by far, that was the most important piece of the puzzle. We needed a strong, knowledgeable city manager. We didn't have it before. I did not inherit um, so two years into my first term, we hired Jeff and he, um, gathered what I call the greatest staff that any city has of our size. Uh, that was the first piece of the puzzle. Uh, when he did come on, he brought a, uh, um, parks and recs director, which we had really never had one to build that department. But we sat down for lunch one day as soon as they got here, and I said, I, I want three things. I want more park space, I want more trails, and I want an amphitheater. They delivered on all three within 10 years. Wow. Which is phenomenal in my book. I think we were 10 years ahead of schedule. So that was a milestone. We got the amphitheater. So then we started concentrating on filling those voids in different buildings in different areas of the city. Unfortunately, it was at the beginning of the recession. So we had a, a, a big hill to climb. But Jeff and I sat down at that point and said, you know, a recession is the best time to buy property. So you can't get it any cheaper than during that period of time. So we did. We went out on the limb. Uh, we bought what is now the City Hall Annex uh, for $5.2 million, included all the contents uh, from Robert Harris Homes, and that building today is worth about $10 million. Wow. So we went out on a limb, and we mortgaged the thing. We didn't have the uh, cash to pay for it. And that's the one located where? On 92, on 92. right off, right near Trickham. Okay. But what a, what a buy. I mean, couldn't have done any more. Then we bought uh, what is now our chambers where our council meetings are and the theater behind it that Elm Street now, or Woodstock Arts, they, they're called now, uh, where they're headquartered. So these were two great purchases we made. Um, we, 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 Bought some other park space. Uh, uh, we, we expanded Dupree Park on Nice Road. Mm -hmm. So we took a chance during the recession to add to what we knew we needed. And I think it's paid off tremendously. Well, and none of that has remained stagnant either. I mean, the trail system continues to grow. I know the... Uh, Chambers Center just went through some renovations. 
And, you know, it is, it's interesting how those purchases that were made back then have continued to be vibrant, have continued to be used. It wasn't just a one and done where, you know, people were interested in it for a while and then kind of lost interest. And they continue to be used and, and used widely. And you mentioned before, I mean, obviously another thing that's occurred over these years is our visibility. I mean, Money Magazine named us one of the best cities to live in. Homes Magazine named us one of the best suburbs in the U.S. to move to. And I know that our Main Street has gotten awards. Our city departments have gotten awards over the year. As you interact with other cities, which I know you do all the time, how do you think their impression of us has changed over the years that you've been mayor? I think they've come to realize that, um, you know, first of all, we're a destination city. People come from all over. If you go downtown on a Friday night or a Saturday during the day, look at the license plates. They're from all over Georgia. They're from North Carolina and Alabama. I mean, that's what people are doing. They're coming here to ride our bike trails from North Carolina. And when they do that, they take a break and they go to lunch in downtown. So you see that license plate. So other cities have seen that and try, they're trying to emulate us. Uh, we get visitors from all over the southeast uh, cities council members and staff that come here, we spend a half a day or a day with them, and they want to know how we did it. So we show them. We show them what you have to do to achieve what we've had here in Woodstock. Well, and I know, and again, I've lived here about 32 years now. When I first moved here, and for many years after that, people would say, well, what part of town do you live in? You'd say Woodstock, and they'd say, where's that? Now, somebody says, where do you live? You say Woodstock. They said, oh, I've been to Woodstock. I love Woodstock. And it doesn't matter where they're from in the metro area. It really has been a magnet for people that are looking for that kind of arts, culture, shopping, restaurants. And there's so much going on all the time. I know that uh, the city has a a real job just keeping that calendar active and going because, as you said, Friday night when you first became mayor, walked downtown and you were walking alone. Now, go downtown on a Friday night or a Thursday night or a Wednesday night and there's music coming out of Mad Life, there's music coming out of Pure, and there's crowds of people everywhere down there. I mean, it, it is such a difference, and it has to make you feel wonderful to see that under your watch. Uh, it does. Uh, you mentioned the early days in 06 when I first became mayor. Um, we looked at how to get people downtown at night. So we started what was called Friday Night Live, and we convinced the, the businesses that we did have open to stay open later, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, whatever. took some arm twisting. It took some uh, persuasion to keep them going. But I said, stay the course. It's going to work. And it took about a year, year and a half before we started seeing the big crowds on Friday Night Live. And now you can't find a parking space on that night. 
uh, it just, it's been phenomenal. Well, and it's amazing that an event like that would be so crucial to everything that went after it and how that's continued. So we're talking about milestones. You mentioned Jeff, we've mentioned Friday nights live other milestones. Yeah. Um, like I said, the amphitheater is a biggie. Uh, we've, we've tried to improve traffic. Uh, there's only so much we can do on main street because of the railroad and the historical buildings, uh, bordering it. Uh, but we're about to start a big project. Uh, one of the reasons I stayed on for this term, uh, it's called the hub transformation project. And that's going to improve, uh, the, uh, travel from Main Street to 575. Uh, we're going to have a roundabout at the split off uh, where Mill Street uh, and Town Lake separate. Uh, there'll be a left turn lane at Town Lake and Main Street going north, which I've been fighting for for 10 years. <laughs> so, yeah, to me, that's a big milestone, you know. But uh, we're going to improve Mill Street to make it a two way. So we'll we'll get people off of Main Street a lot faster, but to me that's a, a milestone also. Trying to improve traffic, we're, we're improving parking. Um, uh, I know you want to talk about the no, the, please go ahead. The Morgan's Ace Hardware site, which is a big milestone when it happens. Uh, we bought that property a, few, a couple of years ago, actually. Uh, and Morgan's just this past Monday opened up in their new location on North Main. So we're go- we own that property. is about four acres there. We're going to tear everything down and make it a temporary parking spot until we finish the design phase of that property. That property will hold a parking deck, which will accommodate four to 500 cars, depending on how big we make it. There will be a boutique hotel. 80 to 90 rooms, and the neat part about it is I insisted that they have balconies overlooking the amphitheater so they can sell those rooms for concerts, and I think that's a big deal. And there will also be some retail and uh, restaurants in that area. So that's a big milestone, and that was the reason I thought about staying on for one more term. But like I said, you know, there's always a project. Well, and you talk about the parking downtown. I mean, when, as things started to develop downtown, you know, who thought that would be a problem? And good problem to have because of the amount of activity down there. But, yeah, it's probably the one thing I hear most people talking about as far as an improvement they want to see is with the parking, just because it's tough to find a parking spot sometimes. But this will alleviate that. And so that that construction will begin when? Um, The teardown is actually, I just got an email this afternoon. They're going to start that project tearing down within the next couple of weeks. Oh, wow. The actual buildings in the ground uh, probably is a a project that's going to start late next year. Um, We have a development partner which is Terry and Sherry Morris, who was instrumental with Hedgewood in developing what's already there. So we thought they were natural. They, they, they get it. Um, we have a hotel partner picked out. Uh, the unique thing about them, I can't tell you their name. For mm-hmm. whatever reason, I don't know. They, they don't want it public yet. No, I understand. But they, uh, 
every hotel they own across the United States is different. It There's no identical hotel that they own. So that's very unique. And we've been in some of their properties on field trips, and they do a beautiful project. So during that construction phase, will that allow any additional temporary parking on any of that acreage? Well, when, once they get everything down within the next couple of weeks, it'll be graveled for a temporary parking spot. Okay. Uh, I think they told me there'd be somewhere around 100 spaces on that because it's only surface. Well, that makes um, a big difference, though. Yeah, 100 spaces is 100 spaces. So, But the parking deck there will be the first thing that probably goes in the ground. And it, it, the nice part about it is for the residents that live there, it's going to look like a building. It's not going to look like a parking deck. That's great. So as we talk about the growth, as we talk about the changes, how has the role of mayor changed over those years? I mean, you know, 16 years ago, it was small town mayor. Now it is this destination city mayor. How has your role changed? Um, that's hard to, to define. Uh, when I first took over, the former mayor, the one I beat, uh, the incumbent, um, liked to have his hands in all the pies. And I firmly did not believe in that. I believe in getting the right people in the right position and let them do their jobs. And there again comes Jeff Moon. So uh, I've been able to kind of step back from the day-to-day. I was more involved in the day-to-day the first two years. But once Jeff came on board and he got good department directors in place, good staff, I mean, Jeff and I talk every day or meet every day and talk about what's going on, but that's as far as it goes. Unless he needs me to get involved in something, I don't get involved. So it's evolved that way. Well, and he has hired great people as well for the many city departments, and the number of city departments has expanded over those years, too, as the population expanded. Exactly. So everything's going along. We have the strategic plan. Development is taking place under that controlled growth and under that planned development. Things are are going along pretty smoothly. And then we hit 2020 and COVID. Talk a little bit about the the mobilization, the urgency, the, the strategies you had to put in place to quickly handle those restrictions that were necessary, how people mobilized, and how that changed some of the city's plans a little bit. Yeah, uh, once March of 20 hit, when everything shut down, my job suddenly became full-time. Good thing I was retired from my other job uh, because now I was devoting 40 to 50 hours a week. Um, We just had to, like you said, mobilize. We had to change the way we did business. We could not stop having council meetings. That, that wasn't in the cards. So we shifted gears and started having Zoom meetings. Uh, I would show up in person, but most of the council would be online. Uh, people could join uh, the residents if they wanted to. Uh, we shifted gears and did the same thing with staff meetings on Monday mornings that I attend. Uh, so we had to we had to make some changes. 
nobody saw this coming, obviously. Nobody was really ready for it. Uh, but I should say kudos to the school system. They were in place with remote learning. And uh, I congratulate them on being ready for it. But, you know, we didn't have any idea it was going to happen. We had plans in place for uh, pandemics uh, as far as the health goes. But as far as the operations, we never imagined you couldn't be in the same room with somebody. So we had to shift gears. And it, it was difficult, but we, I think we did it fairly well. Well, and it seems like we were kind of on the leading edge compared to some cities around us as far as some of the steps we took and some of the rules we put in place. I think so. Uh, I think we acted a lot faster than some of our our compadres over there uh, in different areas. Um, but we all struggled. There's no doubt about it. Um, like I said, it was unforeseen, you know, historic. Well, and it, I guess it's part of the job, but, you know, you say, okay, I, I've been mayor for three and a half years now. I kind of got this down to a certain rhythm, you know, uh, everything's going along as planned. And then something like that hits. And all of a sudden, as you say, plans change, operations change, priorities change. And I'm going to assume just because of COVID and the restrictions and everything else, probably some of the strategic plan changed too as far as development, right? Yeah, it did. Uh, first of all, it slowed down because we wouldn't allow developers coming in, uh, filing their plans for a new development. Uh, we had to make them do it uh, online. Some of them were not set up for that. So uh, that slowed things down. Um it just It's just the way we had to do business. Well, thank you for uh, reacting as calmly and as quickly as you did because uh, everybody just kind of fell in line, it seemed, and did what they had to do. And none of us individually or collectively were prepared for it, but we're getting through it. We thought we would have been through it by now, but we're getting through it. So as the city has changed, the world around us has changed too over those 16 years. And one of the ways I want to talk about things changing is social media. I mean, social media has expanded exponentially over the 16 years you've been mayor, which on one side of the coin makes it much easier for people to express their satisfaction or dissatisfaction with things that are taking place immediately and widely. And on the other side of the coin, it allows city officials to more easily communicate with their constituents. So can you talk a little bit about both sides of that and how social media has played a part? A uh, tremendous part. Um, I'm not the most social media savvy person, but uh, there's a reason why we've been successful. It's not me, we promoted uh, Stacy Brown to handle our PR and our social media, and she's done a fantastic job. She gets the message out for all our, our departments, fire department, police department, city administration, uh, uh, downtown development authority. She handles it all. And uh, you're right. We Now we hear more from 
residents and business owners, as you say, dissatisfied or satisfied. Uh, we can address the dissatisfied a lot quicker, and we know about it a lot quicker. So that's been a, a boom for us, uh, social media. Yeah, I can't imagine going through the COVID uh, changes without having social media to communicate to the population about just what was going on, what the city was doing about it, what we had to do to help the city meet their goals in that. I mean, I can't imagine trying to do that in any other way. Yeah, it got uh, right off the bat. We we realized we needed to get the message out that we're still open for business. So we started a, a podcast series, and I was the host in the beginning Interviewed people like the Department of Health, uh, um, Chief Honcho, uh, Dr. Taylor, uh, had the COO of Northside Hospital talking about the effects of COVID, uh, and it continued on. We had department directors and interviewing them on how they had to function, and Stacy Brown took over and is continuing those podcasts. So we wanted to get the message out. Well, obviously, through it all, um, be it COVID or just the growth, you've had a lot of support and well-deserved support. And even though that first term as mayor was run by 31 votes, you had two of the next three where you ran unopposed. That had to make you feel pretty good and pretty confident of the leadership you were giving the city. It did. Um but I always tell people, I said, either people liked what I was doing or they weren't paying attention, one of the two. So, um, I think you're probably being modest there. That, you know, it, like I said, it, it wouldn't have been possible without a good staff and a good council. And for the most part, we've had good councils my entire four, four, four terms. Well, you keep an amazingly busy calendar. It seems like everywhere I go, you're there. If I go to a business meeting, there's the mayor. If I go to a concert, there's the mayor. Ribbon cutting, uh, groundbreaking, mayor, mayor. I mean, and on top of that, for a lot of the years as mayor, as you said, until you retired, you're also carrying a full-time job. How did you keep up that pace? How do you, how do you and, and I mean, even the public events, there's so many private events as far as city meetings and whether those be public or closed door. How did you keep up that pace? I had a great boss at Northside Hospital. Uh, Billy Hayes uh, hired me uh, in, uh, what was it, 13, I think it was. And uh, he knew that my schedule was kind of combobulated, or whatever the word is, combobulated. I don't know if that's a word. But anyway, uh, he understood that I'd be pulled away sometimes, and he knew that I would make up the time, so to speak, uh, with my regular job. So that's the way I was able to juggle it while I worked full-time. After I retired, things seemed to get busier. Uh, I, got, <laughs> I got pulled into a lot more meetings than I had Because people knew you could. Exactly. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, that little 20-hour-a-week thing got to be 30 hours or whatever. Uh, so I try to be engaged in the community, like you said, going to all those ribbon cuttings and whatever. 
Uh, never missed a concert if I could, uh, uh, unless I was out of town. But uh, I believe it's part of my job uh, to stay engaged. Uh, people want to know what's going on in the city, and most people were not afraid to approach me and ask me uh, pointed questions on what's happening. So I wanted to be out there to make sure that was possible. So as you look back at your terms as mayor, I mean, we talked about wanting to use a little while ago as our historian. And I know the new renovation at the Reeves house has a little nook where Juanita has put in a display of Woodstock's history down the road. If she puts in a display about your history as mayor, what's the legacy? What, what's, what are we going to see in that display? Hopefully it won't happen, but, <laughs> uh, I'll talk to Juanita though. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. Um, I think it should say something about 06 to, to present day that the growth of the city has, as you said, has been controlled and planned. Um, the, uh, the idea that we've actually got a nightlife in downtown uh, says volumes for, for our council and staff. So that's kind of the, what I think should go in there. Nothing about me personally, because it wasn't just me. It was a team. Well, there's got to be a picture of the amphitheater there, because I know how involved you were in that. Yes, yes, there should be. So when you end your term in January, is there anything on your to-do list that didn't get checked off? What are what are the what still needs attention? What future development plans have been made that are going to come under Michael's watch now? Well, first and foremost is the Morgan's Ace Hardware Store site. Uh, to me, that's one of the biggest projects that the city has ever undertaken. Uh, it's going to cost multi multi million dollars to do. Uh, luckily, we have these development partners in place. Uh, but that's the biggie. Uh, like I said earlier, if I would have stuck around, that was the reason why. Uh, but other than that, I, the Transformation Hub project will be in the ground, in, in progress. Um, we have a uh, – we purchased uh, a bunch of land on Trickham Road in conjunction with the Corps of Engineer property. It totals about 100 acres and that's going to be a tremendous park, passive park. Wow. People are going to be excited about this project. That's a little bit longer term than the Morgan site, I believe. Uh, it's in the design phase now. But those are some of the things that I would have enjoyed sticking around for. Well, I've heard some talk, too, about additional fire protection. Is that true, too, about another fire station? It is. Uh, we have an ISO rating of one, which is the highest you can get. And there's only about a hundred fire departments in the country that have that designation. Wow. But in order to, to maintain that designation, uh, we need a third fire station because of growth. We have the site picked out. Um, we're working on, uh, acquiring the money to be able to build the fire station and staff it, which is a big deal. Uh, but 
but it's in place. Uh, council knows it has to be done, and uh, they're actively supporting it. Well, you said a minute ago that that display at the Reeves House shouldn't be about you, but we're going to talk about you a little bit. <laughs> what What some people may not know is that you are an Air Force veteran, having served in Vietnam. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And uh, with everything else you had going on in 2019, you decided to publish a book that was inspired by your experiences in Vietnam. And the book was called uh, Social Actions of Vietnam Story. Talk about what prompted you to do that. I mean, you had a pretty busy calendar going on anyhow, but had that book been in the making for a while and was that just the publishing date or were you actually working on it right before that? No, it was a long-term process. I actually started it in the nineties. Really? Yeah. I, I thought about it. I was a stay at home dad with my infant daughter, uh, for two years and I started writing it. I knew I had a story to tell. I didn't want to make it real, real personal. So I made it fact, based fiction mm-hmm. is what I call it. And I set it down, life happens, uh, picked it up again, set it down. And then about two years prior to 19 or a year, my daughter who was the infant is now an adult and she prompted me to get up and finish it. And she helped put it together and present it to a publisher. Miss Juanita was one of the editors uh, okay. of the of the book. Um, I was reluctant to let her do that because the book is R-rated. Um, and, you know, she's a mild-mannered person, and I was worried. <laughs> she says, Donnie, don't worry about it. I've read worse. So, so she's still making eye contact with you now. Yeah, okay, she is. Good. She still talks to me and <laughs> stuff. So, uh, But my my daughter was the prompt that got me to finish it and get it published. And it came out in uh, January of 19. And I know that's available on Amazon and other outlets. And if you haven't read the book, it is a great book. And it got great reviews. Mm -hmm. So with all this extra time you're going to have on your hands now in uh, 2022 and beyond, is there another book in you? There is. Uh, It's a continuation of the uh, uh, protagonist where he goes back into uh, civilian life. And it's more of a crime mystery than the other book was. Now, it's not complete. Uh, I put it down when COVID happened because of my schedule uh, increasing with the city. But also, my wife works for the school system. And, of course, they were shut out. They had to start doing Zoom meetings. And we had downsized a few years ago in our she was working in the dining room. I'm working in the living room, sitting in the chair with my laptop. And with her on Zoom meetings all day, I couldn't concentrate. So I had to put it down. But unfortunately, it's taken me a while to pick it back up. But I have, I'm about, eh, I'd say a third of the way finished. Uh, this will be a more complicated book to write because the other one, I actually lived it. This one is pure fiction. But it has the same character. That's the only difference. Well, and one of the things that impressed me about the first book is you talk a lot about the main character 
Patrick Haney, is that right? Exactly, Patrick Haney. Patrick Haney's transitions. And one of those transitions is going from military life to civilian life. I know uh, they call that going back into the real world. Exactly. And you went through that transition. In a couple of months, you're going through a new transition from public figure to private citizen. Is that going to be a difficult transition for you? I don't think so. I think the transition from military life, especially being in Vietnam and Thailand, um, was more difficult than I think this will be. Uh, I've got a lot of support from my family and friends uh, and actually the public. Um, I'm always thanked for my service with the city. So that transition I don't think will be very hard. I'll still be involved with the city, I'm sure, Michael Caldwell will call me and ask my advice on something. Uh, uh, Jeff Moon and I will still communicate. We're very good friends now. Uh, matter of fact, I just got an invitation to his daughter's wedding. Um, so, you know, I'll still be involved, and I think the transition will be a lot easier. What do you think you'll miss most, not being mayor? Um, working with city staff, um, I really love – all those people, uh, they do a tremendous job. They all know what they're doing. I don't have to guide them in any way. It's just, it's a pleasure working with them. And then the other thing is the public. Uh, I enjoy, like you said, I'm out there, ribbon cuttings, whatever. Uh, I enjoy meeting people. You know, that's how I met you through you absolutely know, uh, the Main Street program. So um, those are two things I'll miss. Well, and I know that both as mayor and just as a resident of Woodstock, you've been very involved in some of the nonprofits, very involved in some of the charitable causes in town. I know, especially with seniors in the schools, hopefully you'll be able to keep up that involvement as well. Yeah, I will. Um, I'm still involved with a lot of service organizations. I was a member of Optimus and Rotary and so forth. I'm not now, but I still help them. I still support them in their efforts. Uh, the Senior Center, uh, I'm obviously old enough to be a member, which I will become a member. Uh, don't play uh, hand and foot and all those other card games, but uh, they do have pool, a pool room and uh, different functions, and I'll still be involved. Well, and you've had a kind of a special relationship with them over the years at the Senior Center because of an event that you put on for them every year, right? Well, it's actually uh, every quarter. Um, Northside sponsors it. Um, it started when I was an employee of Northside. We would bring in a doctor uh, once a quarter to talk about different subjects uh, health-wise and to help attract the seniors to come listen to this doctor, I would cook jambalaya uh, for them. And it's become so popular that they have a waiting list uh, for these events. Uh, and I always cook enough for the extra people. So, Well, but you grew up in New Orleans, so this is authentic jambalaya. And I know before getting involved in politics, you were in the restaurant business too, so you know your way around a kitchen. I do, yes. I do most of the cooking at home. My wife is a great salad maker, uh, that's for sure. She calls herself the salad queen. 
but I do most of the cooking. Um, don't do a lot of baking because we don't eat a lot of desserts and things, breads and whatnot. But uh, typical New Orleans dishes is, is my staple, yes. That's good cooking. Yeah. So let's look at the next chapter for Woodstock. We talked a little bit about Michael before. Michael Caldwell, former state representative. When you announced that you were not going to run, Michael threw his hat in the ring, ended up running unopposed. So in a, in a normal election year, you wait for the November elections, and then the, the person coming into office has about two months for transition, two months to kind of get acclimated, get assimilated, and that, that sharing of information. With Michael running unopposed, that two months became six or seven months for you. So talk about that transition. How's that going? And how do you think it's benefited not only him, but you too, as far as being able to pass along information that you wanted to make sure you shared with him? Well, as far as me concerns, um, it's a lot of peace of mind because I know there's a learning curve for every mayor that comes into office, uh, whether or not you've served as a city councilman or you you have no experience whatsoever. There is a learning curve. I always say it's about six months before you feel comfortable enough to express opinions. Uh, Michael has been involved with us for a while, quite a while. Uh, we have now brought him into meetings uh, that, that are called executive session where it's a closed door meeting where we discuss real estate litigation and personnel, which is, you know, protected by state law. Michael's in there. So he's getting a feel for what we're doing. Uh, we've sat down with him. We've gone over all of our projects that are on the board all of the projects that are in the ground, finance, uh, community development, economic development, you name it. He's, he's been exposed to it. So his learning curve, especially with his government background, is going to be a lot less than mine was. Well, and I, I'm sure he appreciates that as well. And just, you know, not coming in feeling unprepared or, or just less prepared to go into the job and to serve the citizens. So 20 years, I'm going to broaden this out a little bit. 20 years ago, you made the decision to run for city office as a councilman and later as mayor. For someone who's considering entering public office, what advice would you give them? Be involved in the community first. Um, don't try to jump into a city council position or even mayor, especially mayor. Um, I got involved in my neighborhood first and then in, like I said, service organizations. So I was well known in the community before I even ran for uh, city council. That's what I would recommend somebody do. Get involved somehow. You know, volunteer to serve on the Parks and Rec Board or the Planning Commission or whatever the case may be. That experience uh, will pay dividends down the road. I'm going to ask you a real personal question. Okay. I think you are a great example of servant leadership. I mean, we see some people in politics, in the corporate world, 
who, as they reach a certain level of leadership or a certain level of power, they kind of lose sight of that a little bit. And I've never, I mean, you're always so modest. You're always so giving of your time and of your advice. I mean, I've never seen any kind of power trip or anything else on your part as to, you know, um, how the office of mayor has uh, affected you. How do you, how were you able to keep that all in perspective? Well, I'll, I always sing the same song. Um, it is about service leadership. Uh, it's not about you. It's about a team. The team gets the job done. And we do it for our 38,000 bosses. Um, one of the kids this morning when I was talking to a third-grade class asked the question, um, do you work for the president? thought for a minute. I said, no, he works for 350 million people. That's how many bosses he has. And I take the same tact. Uh, You know, if you don't do it from a service point of view, you're not doing your job. And that's what I believe. Well, and, and that is evident. That is obvious. I think it's one of the reasons you've been able to handle things on such an even keel is by keeping that perspective too. So before we wrap up here, give us some advice as as residents, as citizens of Woodstock or whatever city somebody listening happens to be in, how can we better assist? How can we better serve our elected officials? First and foremost is vote uh, in every election. Uh, That's what I tell kids when they turn 18 Make sure you register to vote and vote. Secondly, give them feedback. Uh, it's important to hear from the residents and business owners. And we do, uh, but it could be better. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that may complain or, or congratulate or whatever. We never hear from. We'd love to. Uh, they need to hear that feedback, whether it's good or bad. Um, so, you know, um, I, I think people ought to be more involved. You know, we have low turnouts in our elections. You know, my, my election in 05 was about 2,000 people turned out to vote. You know, out of a city at the time of 14,000 or whatever it was, that's not very good. We need to, we need to do better with that. So when you talk about people making their opinions known, you're talking proactively, not after a decision's been made, not reactively, but even just get to know your officials, have conversations with them about what's important to you, because while that may not be being addressed today, it may be addressed months from now, and they need to have that information so they know where the people they serve are most uh, most embracing and most supportive of the change. Yeah. when I, I remember when I first took over as mayor, I remember several people, when I was introduced to them as mayor of Woodstock, they said, I didn't know we had a mayor. Really? Yeah. Believe it or not. And so I found that mystifying. Uh, 
And that's what I'm talking about, people not being engaged. I mean, we're the ones that take your tax money and put it back into the community. You should have a say-so over that. It's your money. Um, And the only way to do that is to be engaged. Uh, Like you said, talk to your representatives. So with that said, if somebody wants to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Best way is email. And my email address is dhenriques, D-H-E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-S, at woodstockga.gov. I also have a phone number at City Hall. I don't answer it. I, I check the voicemail. It is 770-592-6007. Well, thank you. And before we wrap up, any final thoughts you have? Any final message you want to share with the people here in Woodstock? Yes. Um, I want to thank them for their support and their confidence in me. Uh, it's very humbling to be able to serve four terms, um, two of them unopposed. And um, I want to thank them for their support. And I'm going to miss them, but I'm not going away. We will see you around, I'm sure. Yes. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and what we understand is a busy schedule, sharing your thoughts, sharing your insights. And more importantly, we can never thank you enough for your service and for your leadership to this city. Over the past 16 years as mayor, you have had a big hand in the pride we all have in our city and Again, we can never thank you enough. We obviously wish you and Jan and your family all the best in the future. And as I said, I know we'll be running into each other again. Absolutely, and I appreciate you having me, Jim. Well, and thank you all for listening to Woodstock Proud. We hope you enjoyed getting to know our guest, Mayor Donnie Henriquez, a little bit better. Until next time, this is Jim Bulger saying, take good care of yourself, stay safe, and we will talk with you again real soon. (laughs) 